You're listening to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 64. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Moses Siragar. And I'm Dave Robison. You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. That's right. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we bring writers onto the show to workshop a story idea with us and our esteemed guest host. And then we take the story ideas, we sort of form the pizza dough, we throw it in the air, twirl it around a little bit. (laughs) Next thing you know, you've got literary gold pizza. as a pizza, pizza as a pizza it, john's john's from new york so I, I thought the pizza analogy would be good See, you know? well yeah but you could also you know work the whole chicago vibe since our guest host is in that vicinity anyway you could go with a, a deep dish story you know you we can there totally rock that it's a beautiful metaphor uh and we can wax rhapsodic on that for hours but we won't so <laughs> we are back moses uh, uh i i don't think i thanked you properly last week but i want to do it now i am as always, grateful to have you as my co-host and wingman. Man, I appreciate it very much. Oh, it's a blast. Thank you so much. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Let, let, let's, let's ignite a few more blasts and bring our guest host back on, shall we? Absolutely. Awesome. Dear friends, returning from his fabulous 20 minutes with last week, uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Brad Bollier. Brad, thank you so much for being willing to not only return, but but to to help us sink our, our greedy, greedy fingers into a fabulous story workshop. We appreciate it, man. Well, thanks for having me back. I thought after the last show, you'd, you'd just uh, kick me out and keep me off forever. <laughs> nope, nope. Sorry. that that We, we have much lower standards. Standards. So we're <laughs> we're in good shape. We're in good shape. No, that was that was fab. my head is still ringing from that uh, from the from the ideas and insights we got from that one. So no, nah, you're good. You're good. All right. So uh, Brad, you're, you're traveling. You're doing cons. You've got books. You're working on series. You've got series coming out. You've got stuff going on. I I, I can only imagine what your daytimer looks like. So so I'm gonna uh, do our fans and listeners a favor and and if you would just hold forth a bit and tell us what is coming up in the world of Brad Bullier. Well, um, I have a, uh, a new series that's out through Daw Books in the U.S. and Galance in the U.K. Uh, it's called Song of the Shattered Sands, and the first book is called Twelve Kings in Sharakai, uh, and that is uh, is turned in. Uh, we're we're still we're still going to go through a round of edits, but um, uh, that's due August of next year. Uh, so we're it's we're past the we're below the one year mark. So like tons of things I'm looking forward to so so much. The, uh, the artwork phase is just right around the corner. Uh, so I'm really um, anxious to get that going. Um, Have you picked anybody say, out yet? Have you been trolling deviant art? Or are you leaving that up to the good people at Galance? Well, um, so Galance, um, I, I don't know what they'll do in the end. Um, you know, the UK tends to be more iconographic for their covers. Um, and I think that's the direction they're headed. We we had a, a few talks about what the cover might look like, um, but but they were pretty raw. So um, so I don't know who they'll go with artist wise um, on that side. But on the DAW side, uh, Betsy Wilheim, who was my editor, and I were were kind of chatting on Facebook a little bit. And I had I think it was because I did a like a sale uh, for the Winds of Kalakovo, and then she saw the cover and she was like, "We need to talk," um, and because. She ended up really loving Adam's stuff. So Adam Paquette uh, is an Australian artist. He's he's brilliant. I really love his stuff. Um, and he, so he did the cover for Winds of Calicovo, this beautiful windship over this awesome uh, island landscape. And um, so uh, she she's selected him um, at this point. But we have she 
uh, we haven't gotten to the point where we've kind of picked what the scene will be and that sort of thing. So, so that's still coming up. Okay. Um, and then my other big thing is I have been trying to get a couple of series uh, going, actually, uh, a middle grade, uh, along with the epic fantasy. And hopefully I could kind of go back and forth between these two. Uh, so the, the new I, I wrote this on spec because I'm not established in the middle grade world. Uh, so it's um, the first book is called Winter Watch. And it's a, a Norse inspired, let's let's say, epic fantasy for kids. I was I've been hoping to kind of write two series uh, at the same time, you know, something smaller, uh, obviously middle grade is middle grade is smaller than these epic fantasies. So I, I hope to go back and forth at some point. We'll we'll see how it goes. So I'm just finishing up the draft that's going to go to my agent. Um, and then we'll start sending out. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. Outstanding. Yeah, definitely. Fingers and toes, man. That's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other news I have is that uh, – <laughs> In the last show, we talked about the nightshade debacle. They, you know, they had imploded, and I actually got out before, just before they imploded. Actually, I got my rights back, so I wasn't part of the deal where people went over to um, Skyhorse and start publishing. Right, uh, still under the nightshade imprint. So I did the uh, Kickstarter for the the books last year, and so I had all the rights back essentially. Uh, but we resold uh, print only to. Um, uh, Skyhorse. Uh, so that's going to be coming out in November. The third book is going to get a re-release and they, they have the other two books. Uh, they're already on the market actually. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's kind of cool. That's um, very so th- cool. That'll, that'll get some, uh, some more life. So that'll be, yeah, that'll be nice. Outstanding. And those are great stories. They deserve a, a, another pass around, uh, the, the bookshelves of the, of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> very cool. Oh, thank you. What about, uh, conventions? Any, any con appearances on your upcoming schedule? Yeah, the, the only other thing I have this year is World Fantasy, which is my favorite convention. Uh, it's it's uh, smallish, you know. They it's anywhere from twelve hundred to two thousand in that range because uh, they cap the attendance. But it's kind of a, a widely recognized boondoggle for the industry. So uh, agents, editors go, and they're a lot more relaxed at this than they are at like WorldCon uh, or other larger conventions. Okay. Uh, so it's a great place to network. Um, and then uh, next, uh, see the late January, early February, Confusion has become one of my favorites. It's it's in uh, Michigan, and uh, just been, been a lot of cool people going to that each year. Um, I so, noticed that uh, uh, yeah. just the past year, all every all everybody who was anybody was it was it Confusion. So <laughs> yeah, the, P- Peter Brett has started to do a uh, author D and D game, and that's gotten a little bit of attention the past uh, I don't know three or four years. They've been doing it. It's uh, it's pretty fun. Sure, Saladin. I think Saladin Ahmed reft last year, right? Uh, he did. Did he DM? He did. He DM'd oh, one year for sure, but I think it was Howard Taylor. Oh my God! <laughs> and uh, was it Mike Cole? Um, I can't remember. And then, and then uh, Cameron Hurley's husband took over for the second round of GMing. They, they kind of had two, like a morning and afternoon session. Good. And um, the, and they raffle off seats, don't they, for charity? Yeah, they put up. Uh, they, I think the last couple of years, maybe three, they put up one in Pat Rothfuss's World Builders. Uh, and then the winner gets to, to come and hang out with everybody and play D&D. So it's, uh, you know, goes to a great cause and then people have fun and they've taped uh, a couple of them and put them up on YouTube. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's been neat. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, Brad, I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes uh, uh, so that our fans can can pursue all of the awesomeness that's coming out for you. <laughs> so they can stalk me. That's right. Stalk you. And then I will, I have a little handout sheet that I can hand them to help with that. <laughs> so, yeah. Moses, do you have anything that's coming up that you need to let folks know about? 
Oh, I'll just have my head buried in my book for a little while. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Very good. We will keep asking, and someday there will be glorious, glorious news from the from the realm of Sirigar. <laughs> we'll look forward to it. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a pause and and give some airtime to another awesome podcast or an ebook or goodness knows whatever I can lay my hands on for for audio promo goodness. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story. What do you say? Oh, yeah. Sounds great. Yes, absolutely. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Brian Lincoln Productions presents an exciting new audio drama, Hidden Harbor Mysteries. Hidden Harbor is a city of light beset by darkness. One of my girls what works the streets says there's an army of women. Barbara Wilson uses her mystical powers to defend the innocent. Give me strength to continue my pursuit of those who've done evil in this city. While others scheme in the shadows to destroy her. Fan Phantom, they call you. You're out there somewhere, and I will have you. Valiant heroes. I'm used to making deals with the devil, but this is a first time. Black-hearted villains. I expect she will be difficult to break. Pulse-pounding action. <laughs> As the forces for good battle the architects of evil. Confound it, Barbara. I knew something like this would happen. You went in without thinking. We are bound by heavy chains. A simple leash can feel like freedom. Hidden Harbor Mysteries is written by Jay Smith and produced by Brian Lincoln. Find out more at HiddenHarborMysteries.com. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the goodness that is the Roundtable Podcast, the Story Workshop, and these things do not happen without a bold, brave, a courageous, a creative and courageous uh, uh, aspiring writer with words on his lips, a tail in his pocket, uh, in search of literary gold, and and... Moses, Brad, I got to tell you, uh, our guest writer for this episode, as an infant, he was rocketed to Earth from a doomed planet. Uh, uh, landing in Queens, New York, he was raised by a lovely Irish couple in a stately apartment that had two poles that went to the basement. Uh, his parents tried to raise him as a normal boy, but his geek DNA won out. He thrived on a steady diet of Saturday morning cartoons, Sunday funnies, comic books, TV, movies, books, and drawing. Today, he is a graphic designer, a cartoonist, a teller of tales, and a sci-fi and comic geek. He rides the inter webs as Surfside Jack, lover of genre fiction, movies, books, music, and art. Oh, and beer. Good beer. If you follow his Facebook feed, you'll see that's absolutely true. Yeah, he, I like him already. <laughs> he keeps threatening to launch his own website and flood the planet with stuff from his brain. Heaven help us all if he ever gets off his ass and does that. Dear friends, please welcome to the to the writer's chair here at the round table, Master John McCarthy. John, my friend, my 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 brother from another mother. Welcome to the round table, dude. Thanks for stepping up. Thank you, Dave, for having me. Absolutely, I, I, it's been long overdue, my friend, and I'm I'm only too happy to have you uh, have you sitting in that exalted chair with 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 a tail on your lips. Is that true? Uh, I'm all tingly. He's all tingly. Hey, quick, somebody hose him <laughs> down. Uh, hey, hey, John, did did you introduce me to Dave? 
I think I did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There you go. Dear friends, we have John McCarthy to thank for my, my wingman and co-host. And 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 now boon companion, <laughs> Moses Siragar. That's awesome. Well, John, let's get into this thing, man. Let's 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 get to the story workshop part. Now we're gonna give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the the title of the story, the genre, the format. Is it a short story, a novel, a series of novels, whatever? Give us the hook line. Give us the the theme. Introduce us to the world. Uh, introduce us to the characters a bit, and then give us just the the tent poles of the story arc that you have, uh, uh, and we'll dive in. So I'm I'm going to get out of the way, bud. The mic is all yours. Heaven help us all. <laughs> okay. The working title is Warriors of the Grove. Uh, I, it's a YA alternate world sword and sorcery fantasy with a superheroic garnish. A 16-year-old gamer, this is the hook line, a 16-year-old gamer and comic book geek finds out he's needed to save a mythic culture on a parallel earth. There's only one problem. He doesn't believe a word of it. The theme is basically it's a coming-of-age story about making your own destiny and forging real friendships. The world is set in, uh, and all the names and places are, are just placeholders. Uh, this thing's been living in my head since I've been in, in, in high school. Um, so these are all just placeholders. Um, Terra, a parallel world similar to our own in many respects, familiar but not exact. For instance, they have magic as both an art and a craft. And the story takes place about 1,600 word, uh, years in the past. On Terra, the Titan Imperium conquered much of Europe as did the Romans in our world. One of the cultures they encountered was the one the Hellenes called Keltoi. They called themselves the people of Danu, or the clans of the moon. For hundreds of years, the clans fought against the Imperium, losing ground the entire time. Their fractious, independent natures worked against them so that they couldn't stand together long enough to halt the Imperium. As a result, they almost lost their entire culture. The clans of the moon once ran their chariots the length and breadth of Europe. Now they are relegated to the northwest part of the continent on the shores of the Western Ocean. Fate dealt them a fresh chance when the Imperium fell, their once mighty legions dispersed or retreated to the Etruscan Peninsula. Several generations free of the Imperial yoke made them all yearn for a taste of freedom and yearn to be mature countries. But the world is not a safe place. Invasion from Germanic tribes and Imperial remnants are paramount. Then word comes in that their greatest enemy has assumed the throne of the Imperator. Baylor the Smiter has become Belorus Maximus. Many among the clans have wakened to the fact that they must work together or face extinction. Only six lands remained holy to the people. Kimru, Kurnal, Alba, Manx, Erin, and Brage. Each land has its own local kings or queens and a high king or queen overall. Five of the six have formed the Alliance of the Moon to ensure their ways and freedoms are lost forever. Only Brage has refused to join the Alliance. The Queen of Shadows thinks them all inept and due to fail. She has walled off her lands with a barrier of mist. You may find your way in, but you won't find your way out again. Her hounds patrol the borders with unrelenting determination. The kings and queens rule by the will of the people and are guided by the Druidic Council. The Druids are both the keepers of lore and the conduits between the clans and the natural world as well as the other world. And here now is a setup for the current situation. The Alliance is finally coming to stand on solid ground. Their population is growing. New Druids and warriors are coming to the learning halls every month. Their military is adapting and getting stronger. But their greatest enemy has taken, um, has assumed the throne in the Titan Imperium. While the main military is arming and training, a small group of Druids and warriors are taking a different tack. A man called a Kraken has seen many cultures and many different kinds of warfare, from ninjas to African shaman. He's got a huge quiver of techniques, and he's training a different kind of warrior. Enter the Circle of Four each one bearing the totem of one of the four basic elements, earth, air, fire, and water. In the characters, my lead, uh, my lead protagonist um, is basically Tim O'Brien, born and raised on the planet Earth, located by druids in a far-seeing ritual and chosen to bear the sky totem and be a vessel to the wind element. 
He is nerdy and optimistic and believes in good over evil, but he's the last added to the group and he feels inadequate and a weak link. He has much to prove, first and foremost, to himself. His battle name is Stormhawk. Taran Nimaraid from Kurnow, born to the royal family of the Shi. As the third daughter, it is her birthright to defend the royal family and the Moon Alliance. Sharp and quick-witted, impatient and more than a little distrustful of humans, she's well-suited to bear the fire element. Her battle name is Dragonfire. Duncan MacStone, 15, from Alba. An orphan, raised by his tribe to be their defender, recruited by the druids of the Alliance before he could assume that role. He is from the Pictish tribes north of the Imperial Wall who were never conquered by the Imperium. Fiercely independent, his people are loyal to their friends and implacable foes. Quiet and thoughtful, Duncan is steady in a fight. His battle name is Stoneclaw. Aiden Macturlo or Mananan from Manx, descended from Mananan MacLear, the lineage of the Sea King was expected to produce a champion for the circle and Aiden was the perfect choice. He inherited his easy laugh and his fluid uh, spirit from his great-grandfather. His battle name is Battlewave. Khan is the only son of the Queen of Shadows. He was trained from the cradle to be her weapon of choice against both the Moon Alliance and the Imperium. Very fair-skinned, physically imposing, gray eyes and long black hair, easily the biggest of the group. His impressive bulk hides a sensitive soul. His battle name is Shadowaxe. Uh, su- um, supporting characters, the Kraken. Greatest champion of the arena of Atlantium has ever seen. He was given the nickname of Kraken by a comrade in the games, a Northman, who said he fought as if he had ten arms. Long lived, like many Atlanteans, Kraken has traveled from Atlantis in the west to Lemuria in the east. He is a treasure trove of knowledge, knowledge that he has shared with the Alliance. He is the mental and physical instructor to the Circle of Four. Kramrua, the druid called Dreamhand, is a spiritual and magical instructor to the Four. He is a deep well of mirth and wisdom. More than just their instructor, he has embraced the Four's friends and family. He agonizes over balancing their well-being against the hazardous work they have been called to do. An antagonist, the one in the field, is Baylor's right-hand man, the Huntsman. The Huntsman is malevolence personified. He tracks down mortals and strips them of their souls the way a hunter skins a deer, and they feel every bit of it. In the background, but always influential, Gwydion, Prince of Kimru, has made great strides in reclaiming the south of the Islands of Mighty from the Saxon invaders. Dubbed Artist, the Bear, he has been made Dux Balorum, leader in war of the Alliance. Merlin Moore, the Grand Druid, is the head of the council in the liaison with the Alliance. He has the ear of kings and walks boldly into battle. The Queen of Shadows, ruler of Brage, not quite an enemy of the Alliance, but at least a deadly competitor. She has her own agenda and woe to any who get in her way. Baylor of the Evil Eye, always in the background, the main villain, but not in the field. Having moved his hereditary lands in the north to the seat of power in the Eternal City, it has taken him some time, but he continues to build the strength back up, and more is making good use of the old networks and routes used by the Imperium before the fall. If he can retake his birthplace, he will be akin to the gods of old, mighty upon the earth. Um, the story, uh, we, there are a call for help comes in from the dwarvish people in the limestone Alps named the Kobold. They need assistance and they turn to the Alliance, uh, for aid against Baylor. The Alliance can't let Baylor gain any ground. They, they have to send in their strike force with, with a MacGuffin to help the Kobold keep Baylor at bay. Uh, the obstacles they have to face are distance, personality clashes, and the constant threat of annihilation by the Huntsman. And that's where we are at the beginning of the story. Um, at the beginning, Tim is, is still finds himself on Earth and feels a calling to go to, to the beach. He's picked up and brought to, uh, to the other side, uh, to Terra, where, he's, where it's, it's found that he is uh, the last of the four. They only have four at this point, uh, each one for the, the signs of the elements, and he, does, he cannot make, make contact with his power. Apparently, he's been trained in his dreams three to five times a week. They've reached out to him across the void, and they've, they've given him training so that he should have everything he needs 
deep in his psyche, but he can't make contact with it. Um, and they run out of time for him to do anything because, uh, because of the call of help that comes in. The armies aren't in position to help. It's got to be a small, small strike force or nothing. Uh, it's him and the four. They go out into the, uh, into the world to, to, to take care of this. And I think I am out of time. <laughs> well, tell us how it ends. What have you got for okay. the ending? Basically, he, he, he tempts death. He, I mean, he has, he has to have to trigger it. He gets uh, one, of, one of the other four to, 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 uh, to fire an arrow at him. If he can't deflect it, he's dead. If he if he if he triggers it, then he wakes up uh, and he he'll be able to to fully join the uh, the group. There is a bonding ceremony in the Tower of the Elements uh, where they where they they are bond to each other and to the into their powers. They are then sent out across the channel uh, to make landfall and then make their way across uh, to the limestone mountains and what would be let's say the the north you know the uh, uh, the northwestern Alps. They crash land on uh, in Brage because, of course, it's surrounded by mist and it's a rocky, rocky shore. Um, uh, uh, the Queen of Shadows' son, Shadow Axe, is sent out to to to, to investigate and to take out whatever uh, to take out whoever might be there. Uh, they are thrown together because, as they're about to, to to tear each other's heads off, the Huntsman makes an appearance. They have to fight together, or they won't survive at all. Hold on, just a second. Whoa, hold on. Do, do, let Let's cut to the very end. Do they win? Basically, they've got to get from uh, from that initial meeting to the Cobalt Mountains, where I've got um, I've got a, a major impact that happens, uh, where they think they lose somebody, but they don't, and then they they have to uh, they they eventually come back to to Avalon, which is uh, which is where their their home base is, and they invite Shadow Axe to take the 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 ritual of bonding with them, which is something that no one had foreseen. This is that this is almost like a, a secret origin story. Stop you. Clearly, this has been. See, you did what I did in my workshop. We've been thinking about this stuff far too long, dude. You need to write this shit. I'm just going to tell you right now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whatever you get out of this. But honestly, there's there's too much that we didn't get to, and I think there's even too much that we did get to. Uh, uh, so I'm 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 rather than try and wrap our heads around the various details that you have worked out, and they're rich, they're lush, they're beautiful. I think our time is going to be best spent working on exploring character motivations and character arcs uh and relationships and also exploring the antagonist Perfect. uh uh so let's 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 focus on that as we move forward but before we do moses please dear god <laughs> give give us a disclaimer because there's going to be a lot of it floating around this one <laughs> so uh john I, th- I think you know this disclaimer but uh, you know we're going to tell you a bunch of stuff and the, the the fact is it's all just ideas it's all just thoughts and we're hoping to stimulate your brain to come up with something really cool um and so of course you just you know you take what you, what you like you riff on whatever we say and you just throw out the rest and you don't have to even listen to anything in the end if you don't like it obviously so that's the that's just the disclaimer before we jump in that's right because because basically anything that comes after this might be complete bullshit i gotta so. tell you i've listened to every episode i've yet to hear bullshit. <laughs> we will try to we'll try to maintain that that sterling record sir thank you <laughs> Uh, our tradition is to start off with a quick once around the table uh, just to get out some 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 key uh, things of what worked and maybe what didn't and also ask any questions of clarification. And once we've gone around the table one time, we'll dive in with with what we want to start working on first. So Brad Bullier, our guest host uh, for this episode, we'll, we'll lead off with you, sir. What, what are your first impressions of John's uh, uh, story concept and what questions do you have for him? Yeah, let me ask a couple questions first. So, is, is this written? Uh, <laughs> no. What I what I I kicked back to you guys is pretty much what I've. I mean, I've I've reams of notes that I haven't touched in years. But what I kicked back was the stuff I've done just in the last couple of days. And oh, okay, so 
So it's all it's all conceptual at this point, and then yes. kind of plotted characters, the world is built, you know that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you mentioned YA, I think, in the beginning. Right. Is is that what you're targeting? Oh, what's funny because for years I never thought of it, but only recently because I realized that all the characters are still teenagers and I'm not. Maybe it should be YA, but that's open to, open for discussion. Okay, the, I'll, I'll tell you that. I mean, as you went through the story, it it kind of. I, I mean, I got a little bit of a, a middle grade vibe or or something not quite YA. I, I've learned a little bit about YA because I was debating on what to do for a winter watch, which which is my first stab at a middle grade, and I was debating between YA and middle grade. And right now, the the, the way the market lays is that if if you don't have a romantic element in the story, it's probably not YA. Uh, I don't, I don't say that every story would have to have it, but I think you have a headwind working against you if you don't, and maybe even a kind of a love triangle uh, going on. And I'm just curious if you had envisioned that kind of thing for the story. Um, well, Pod, there's only one girl in the group, and she is um, she is elvish and remarkably attractive. I always, always thought that there might be some kind of friction with that. So, yeah, do you think there's room for romance there? Uh, certainly. Um, and and it, there doesn't have to be. I mean, but well, I, see, like if, I said, I, I'm familiar with this, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wedded to it. So this is only yeah. do some free thinking. Let it roll. Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, that you know, that's that's certainly something you could explore. Um, one thing I will just mention too: it when, when as you were going through it, I was I was getting a middle grade vibe more than a YA vibe, and and so you may you may think about that. Okay, um, you know, that's that's a possibility. It it um, reminded me a, a you know just a bit of kind of an Aragon um, type of thing, or um, Ranger's Apprentice is something I read recently, which you may want to dig into. It's a it's a really successful. Um, I've heard of it. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. John Flanagan is the writer. He's up to 15 plus books. He's a, it's a runaway success. Um, and it's secondary world. I was very interested in the secondary world specifically because I was writing that kind of thing for mine. Um, yeah. So you may want to check that out. Um, and I, I think there's, there's less focus on the romance angle in middle grade. Um, uh, it's more about adventure, um, and, um, a little bit less about finding your place in the world, uh, as opposed to exploring the world. And, and that's just, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. I, I don't know if that's what, if that uh, resonates with you at all. Um, but that's, that's what I was getting when, as you were talking. Okay. Yeah. And John, definitely as we, as we give this feedback, please let us know if it does resonate or not, that will help urge us in along proper directions. Right. 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 Like I wasn't thinking, um, I wasn't thinking that young to tell you the truth, but I see, I see where you're going. I um, also, I thought I, I I have heard that I thought generally the the age group in a book is generally like one to two years ahead of the reader, and all of these characters are generally about sixteen years old. Yeah, right. it's it, the usual rule that you hear is two years ahead. Uh, so that would still place it kind of in the lower YA range. Right. Um, and if you made them a touch younger, you could go for upper upper middle grade uh, potentially, right. which okay. is like kind of a ten to twelve year old reader with a you know thirteen fourteen perhaps year old protagonist. Um, okay. So you can, you can kind of ponder that. Um, the other thing that struck me initially was the fact that, uh, do I have this right? Tim O'Brien is somebody who is from our world and he goes to that world. Yes. So it's like a, it's a portal story. He, he, he is in yes. our world and he goes to another world and he visits it and he assumingly comes back to our world or maybe he stays there forever. I don't know which, um, you know, he does come back. He does come back. And is this a series or, or a standalone? I always picture it as being a series. Okay. 
So he goes through adventures and maybe returns at the end of a right. book or at the end of the series, one of the two. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, so I'll, I'll be honest here. That gave me a slightly negative reaction um, to it only because that was fairly um, standard uh, to do the kind of a portal from our world to some other world decades ago. Um, I, I can't think of a lot that do that uh, in more, more contemporary uh, fiction uh, I think of the secondary world, it's just secondary world. Um, that being said, I mean, I, 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 there are, I think, more of those like um, in, again, I'm going to pick middle grade because I researched it a lot. Uh, Brandon Mull did a series, oh, and I'm going to forget the name of it now, but it's, uh, it's about kids that move to, I think, backwoods Wisconsin, actually, where I'm from. Uh, <laughs> and there's, there's a, his uncle or something like that has this like almost a preserve on the back of his uh, estate. And um uh, they, they go back and they find a portal to another world uh, and, and they, you know, go and have adventures with trolls and, and different monsters and things. Um, and, and I think the uh, the house itself has, you know, some kind of mystical capabilities. Um, and so I, th- I think it's more accepted and acceptable in kind of middle grade. I think it becomes less so as it becomes more adult. So that's that's another impression that I had as you were talking about it. Right. Good points. Excellent points. Did you have anything else for the first round, Brad? Um, no, why don't you go ahead? I'll ponder a little bit more. Okay, I'm going to actually pass the mic over to Moses. So uh, what do you have for your first thoughts and questions, Master Sirigar? So, John, are there any formats uh, in terms of media um, that you see this story when you think of this story? Like, where, where would you like to see it? Because it, it, it feels like it could be so many interesting things. Funny you say that. I always thought that it could go uh, down different. This is before, you know, um, pan media was a was a phrase i always thought it could be a, a comic uh and a book or you know whatever and that they would change see the thing is um uh portal stories aside i always loved roger Zelazny and uh michael moorcock i always thought that the uh parallel worlds or or shadow worlds were were a great thing and that they appeared differently um in wherever they appeared uh like let's say if they were if if these guys were on this world they might look more like superheroes if they were on um, a more medieval world it would be like medieval spawn where they would you know have uh, regular armor instead of you know you know Tony Stark kind of armor you know what I mean so I, I thought of them appearing in different in different um, in different venues I did okay because I, I I I can see all of this as a for example just one thing that pops in my head I can see all of this as a really kick ass video game where you can play. <laughs> You can play any number of these characters. You know, you can play Stormhawk or Dragonfire, or Battle Wave or Shadowax, and and uh, I think I missed one, but yeah. But anyway, th- you know, I could see that, and where like I can see myself going into the world, and there's the dwarven mount, you know, the dwarves in the mountains, and there's just these incredible fights and all these things, and like uh, I don't like I'm I'm just I guess okay. I'm just going with my intuition here, but you could I, I could almost see this being like a really neat plot for a game, and. I don't know if you, you know, indie gaming is a thing you, you, you're interested in or if that's something you could pitch to a company or sure. if you want to start with, start with the books. Yeah, game, and then- game development would definitely be a way to go. Sure. I, I yeah. got that vibe as well, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, me too. Yeah. It's funny because I'm not a gamer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're writing for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What else you got, Moses? Um, I don't have anything else right now. Okay. All right. I've got a couple questions. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, there was there was a section in there about mists and hounds patrolling the barrier. Uh, right. did, did somebody get trapped behind a misty barrier? Um, Shadowrex's mother is the the queen of what is Brittany in our in our world. Um, 
rocky country, and she is she's surrounded with with a, a wall of mist. So she just her herself. She herself, yeah, she's very powerful. Okay, and what and what what's her name again? Shadow, somebody's mother. I, I don't ever. Um, Queen of Shadows or Shadow Queen okay. is, the, is, the, is the working name for her. And is she an antagonist or is she just a competitor? A competitor for Balor. She's this, uh, the no for the uh, well. The uh, the alliance is most is mostly Celtic. She's she's Celtic as well. She just doesn't agree with them politically. So she's kind of like the Morgan Le Fay, uh, 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 the, the the serpent. Yeah, the, actually, yeah, the, that would be a close analogy. The, yeah. the serpent from the inside, whereas Balor represents the 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 mechanized the empire outside. from the outside. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, uh, what was I got Tim O'Brien? What was the name of Dragonfire? What was the character's name? Uh, Tara Nimaraid. Tara, got it. And what was what was Dreamhand's name? And thank you for that, by the way. That's that's awesome. <laughs> what was the Crom Rua? That's Krom. Red Crom. Got it. Crom. Okay. All right. So there's my questions, basically. Um, I, the 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 actually, I have one other question. This one this one's a little more story oriented, and this is kind of important. You've got somebody from modern day going into effectively a a, a, a medieval epic fantasy framework with high magic, blah blah blah. Why? What is it about a kid, a comic nerd from today going back in this time that that is that is resonating for you? Why is that why why is this not a story about Timoth O'Brienus, who is already a Keltoy and and the chosen one? Um good question. Um when they when they originally started to put together their, their circle of four, they knew if they if they had all the pieces in one place, it would pick up on Baylor's radar. On more than his radar, it would it would be um it would be a, like a ripple in the water that could be felt elsewhere. Actually, they didn't want to do that. I'm I'm actually kind of pulling back a little farther out of the story and into more thematic and character arc considerations and the type of story that you want to tell. Is there a reason for you, John, not not for Balor or Dragonfire or or Battle Battle Wave, right. to have Tim be from our world? I'm guessing wish fulfillment. Okay, I think that's a perfectly valid reason. Um, I, I I think I think that wish fulfillment is 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 valid as a passion point for you, but I think in order for it to sustain and have a reason in the context of the story, that there needs to be more there. And well, maybe- what I wanted to do was, was tell the story from this point of view, which is you never. In all these stories, you never hear how the saddle rubs your ass. You never hear how the, uh, you know, there's, there's a, re- a certain thread of reality missing from a lot of this. Like, you know, it would be him coming to all these realizations that nothing is like the video games he played. You know, that the, um, that there's no dramatic music as you're riding across the field. Just, just the sound of your own blood pump pounding in your ears. I can see that. You know I can, I, mean? I can, yes, absolutely. I totally get so that. That was my, that was my point of view the, for him. The, the thing is, is that you'll be able to establish that in the first chapter. Oh wow, this saddle hurts. This is nothing like the role the games that I played at home. Been there, done. You've made your point. Right. I, I'm thinking there needs to be more, and and okay. I'm just I'm just putting that on the table <laughs> and offering you know opening that up for for Brad and for Moses as well. That that I think I think Tim needs an arc. I I, I think yeah. I think there needs and Brad. I'm gonna pass it off to you. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, so first of all, you know, like getting sort of this this visceral feel of the world, it re- that reminded me kind of of Glenn Cook's work, um, and and not his Private Eye series, but the the um, the Black Company oh, series. Oh, Black Company, yeah. You know, so it's a very gritty telling of um, you know a war from the point of view of these this mercenary team. Um, 
you know, and he, he gets, you know, down in the trenches basically. Um, and it's not quite the same, the same thing that you were saying, John, but, um, uh, you know, but I think you can, I think you can get that, that visual feel. And I, I think that would hit a, a good note with readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do that, I do have a question, uh, and a concern potentially, uh, about Tim O'Brien, our, our protagonist. Tell me what, how he is, what, what sort of a character is he? What sort of person is he in the beginning? And what is he like in the end? Well, uh, again, this point of view is basically ours, uh, a gamer and a nerd uh, who has experienced all these things in, in a very one-dimensional way. And now he's actually stepped into the role of one of the characters he, he would have loved to have been and find out that there's a lot more at stake than just, uh, than just game over. Uh, so basically, the, he grows. For, he, he's forced to grow initially. He has to, he has to kickstart his own his own arc. He ends up. I, I always looked at him as being, let's say, at the heart of the group. And that's not let's say the most intelligent or the bravest or the strongest, but the heart of the group. Um, and I was I thought that as the as they progress through this first this first you know uh, mission together, uh, they would learn about each other and grow together and come to look at to come to to recognize each other's strengths with him being the, uh, the focal point to the group because he is the ultimate outsider. He's not from that world. And, yeah. and so what is he like at the end? Um, my phrase was on the verge of man. I think he's, he's standing on his own two feet. He's actually part of the team and he's taken a major step forward to becoming a man. Is, is he not just part of the team, but the hero? Um, is, is he fully a hero by the end of the first book or does think, that yes. come later? Um, well, I'm the, I always said there were degrees of this. I mean, I, I don't want I don't want him to serve as the only hero. I think everybody has to step up and do something. Sure. Um, but he is uh, again the, the the emotional core, the glue that holds them together because um, they have they're definitely per, uh, personality clashes among the five of them at that point, and and distrust as well. And he's the only one that said because he comes, he's he's the the nerdy kid from uh, from from Earth. He believes in good over evil. He just this is just the first. He just has to carry through to the to the end scene. Um, so the reason I'm asking these questions is because right. uh, there's I think there's some danger here. The first couple of books that I wrote, uh, I I took the tack that I wanted to portray the everyman. You know, they they were kind of proxy for me, kind of proxy for the reader as well. Stepping into some world, and it wasn't a portal store necessarily, but it was like common everyday person rising to the occasion. Um, and that and I feel echoes here. The reason that those partially, the reason that those books failed was because they, they showed them as too normal, too mundane in the beginning. And, and I'm going to share with you a phrase from uh, Patrick Nielsen Hayden uh, that he shared at, at Viable Paradise years ago. Fiction is about extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so when you take the everyman approach, um, you have to be very careful. Um, they, they have to show their abilities uh, fairly quickly. I'm not saying they have to become superheroes right away. I'm saying that they have to be shown to be heroic in some manner, even if they still have weaknesses. Um, and, and then they're on the path. You know, once people sort of uh, buy in, uh, you get some leeway at that point. Um, so, so that's one thing I have to say. And then coupled with that, I just, I just want to talk about the, the way that he learns as well. First of all, it feels a little bit matrixy to me, Mm -hmm. uh, which may not be so bad. Um, but I think it may, um, actually shortchange the reader a little bit because at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, one of the most enjoyable things, uh, about 
reading, um, reading about somebody who comes into their power, so to speak, um, is that we get to see it happen and we get to see their pain uh, and their willingness to do it, their willpower uh, to go through all of that, to make it to the end. They are rewarded in the end because they put in all that effort. Uh, and if, if you, if you take that away from the reader, um, I, it may be, you know, you can, you can do anything in fiction, of course, but there's, there is a cost, uh, and maybe it's too high. I don't know. Uh, so I just want to kind of give you a word of warning there that maybe, maybe a bridge too far. Sure. No, I, I agree with that. And when he does, when, what I envisioned was when he does make it to the other side, part of it is a training session to bring out the, the stuff that they've instilled in him, that they've planted him since he was seven years old, and also to get him to work well, with the other three. Yeah, but one of the, one of the dangers we're running into here, John, though, is that the guy, the guy has no agency. Uh, he's not making choices. He's having people train him and, and pull out his skills for him. Uh, his his choices and and through choices we manifest our heroism. Uh, uh, those those aren't really clear right now, and and we're hearing a guy who gets pulled out against his will into a world he doesn't believe, and he's trained to be awesome. He needs something awesome to begin with, something foundationally that makes him fabulous. It doesn't have to be super strength. It could be you know the ability to to calm any animal. Uh, uh, or, or you know, good with numbers. Who knows? But he's got to be good at something, uh, uh, and he and he needs that agency. Why did they? Why did they start training him at the age of seven? Uh, that's where a lot of warriors. Uh, they left their mother's skirts and went. They trained for the next seven years, you know, and from did, seven did, to fourteen. So he's from another think, world. Is is everybody from another world? Um, no. Why him then? Oh, right. Uh, because. They had to pick an um. They had to pick a parallel that was close close enough to theirs for the 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 because the, the magic is territorial, and it, it comes uh, through uh, through the the uh, the physical area and through your bloodlines. So instead of picking, let's say, uh, a Celt from their world, they they planted a Celt from ours. They found a likely candidate through um through uh, like like ascending where they where they literally reached out and they found um a, a local that would do the job they needed done, um and subconsciously he embraced it. He did. Even as a child, he embraced it. It's just that he, they, uh, there was a disconnect, and he hasn't been able to make the connection again. Okay. See, Brad, Brad, you asked earlier if he had written any of this, and he said no. He lied. He just hasn't. He just hasn't put the words on paper. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Right. I want to. I want to move forward because clearly you've got a lot of stuff that that we cannot possibly have access to. Uh, so I, I want to try and, and have, Moses has been sitting back quietly and patiently. I know he's got stuff to talk about. Uh, I, I want to give, give us a chance to, to, to start applying this thing without so much running up against the, the, the story that you've written so far. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. Okay. All right. Moses, you've been very patient, man. I'm, I'm giving you the mic. What do you got, dude? That's all right. I'm taking it all in. Um, <laughs> I'm going to play good cop for a minute, uh, if we can do that. I, I really, I, I mean, I think you can, you can write the story the way you have it now if you write it well. I, I can see it. I can see where all of this can work. I can see it as a portal. I can see it where the kid, you know, has this special thing about him. I mean, it's, it's basically the equivalent of a, of a prophecy at that point. You know, it's like it's a chosen you're special, one. Yeah, you're special. Yeah, you're special. And you didn't know it. You know, and it's possible that book one. Um, has a lot of elements of like an almost the origin story of, of a superhero where, you know, the first Spider-Man movies, you know, Peter Parker's figuring out how to be Spider-Man and it's okay to do that. And I think that, that 
can work even better for a younger audience where you, you have a character who starts young. I agree that he should be awesome at something like maybe he's the best video game player you know in, in his town or something like that you know like he's he's amazing or he's he's a genius at something i mean i think that would or a musician he could be a musician yeah yeah something something that does make him brilliant because then we like him more right away um so but but you could still have this sort of i mean i'm thinking of the chronicles of narnia right which is a, of course a famous portal story and it, it one of the reasons it works for young audiences is, you know, you start with this kid who's the everyman child sort of thing and, and they end up in this amazing world and it's an amazing adventure. What you have here is the potential for sort of Chronicles of Narnia, but the kid starts kind of awesome and he becomes a super badass, you know, throughout the story. And that alone could be quite compelling. Um, I think there's an interesting, very interesting thing here when it comes down to the character arcs. We talked about in the our previous episode, actually, we, we started talking about the difference between a dynamic character versus an, an iconic character. And I, the sense I get here is that Tim O'Brien is the dynamic character. He's the guy that has the growth arc. And that maybe the other four, it's, it's four, right? There's four more four kind of war, yeah. warriors, right? That they, they could all be iconic characters. They could all be characters that don't have a particular growth arc to them. They could all be just incredibly cool, badass characters. And he's, he's learned to be like that. He's learned to be that cool and badass, you know, in the story. And uh, I could see if you'd write that well, that it would be this beautiful thing. I, I, I don't know. Like, what is your gut instinct to this being a middle grade story? <sighs> there's your answer right okay, there There we go, there you go. Um, <laughs> all right so then I, I think if it's more adult then then tim, then tim o'brien uh needs to be he needs to have more agency you know he needs to be uh determining the story he needs to have a sense of what he wants to achieve he needs to very quickly become someone that shapes the world shapes the story affects everything and even if he's still learning his powers he doesn't have to be the most powerful fighter yet but he can still be the guy who comes in and says well i know i'm from earth but you guys need to get your crap together or <laughs> whatever he does you know um so you yeah i think i think your, your kind of gut feeling is a little bit Maybe it's a little bit, I don't, gritty is maybe not quite the right word, but it's, it's, it seems like you want it to be, even though this is, there's a realism, yeah. there. there's a realism, yeah, even, there. there's even, a core realism that he's working right. with. Even though this is a super fantastical story, but I, I get the sense you want a bit of a, a bit of the, the realism, a bit of the grit or a bit of the, you know, the real feeling. Yeah, actually, most you, you've, you've actually gotten a lot closer uh, um, <laughs> thematically to what I was thinking. Um, and awesome. and it, it is a growth thing. It is, it is, he has to stop having stuff handed to him and then stepping forward and doing his own thing. Did anybody else, did anybody else's ears prick up when, when John mentioned the fact that there's multiple parallel worlds? That's cool. That just really resonated well, for me. Yeah, it, it did for me too. And, and actually when, when that came up, I was thinking, well, are all of these um, stone claw, exactly. battle way of shadow. Yes. Are they all from different worlds and they all have yes. different unique interesting things about them that must work together by the end. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the Keltoy race is, is a race that, that can freely move or, or draw on or connect with these parallel worlds. And, and they have always drawn heroes from these worlds to, to defend this world, which, you know, I don't want to go all Rogers Elasny on you, but have this be <laughs> like the one world, the true world. Right. Uh, uh, and, 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 
and then now suddenly we have a reason for a portal fantasy because now, now we're cooking. Now there's connections. Now there are places in this world that echo and resonate in all the worlds. And and maybe Tim O'Brien's home. You know, I'm 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 picturing Tim O'Brien uh, uh, as as a, a, from a single parent home with the parent being a, a, a drug addict, an alcoholic, uh, uh, some something that that requires Tim to basically be a, a grown up before he wants to be, and he uses his his comics as an escape, uh, uh, as as a wish. Oh, please, please, please! And you know when it does happen. You know, I, I know you had the the. He doesn't believe it, but but honestly, if any of us got pulled into a world like that, our first reaction would be, "Fuck yes, <laughs> yes, give me the magic, give me the sword, I am so there." And have it be, you know, that that pound of reality that it's not the fantasy that you thought, but have him be all over it. And see, I think there's a real opportunity there to explore heroism at that point because. So much of geek culture is is about the heroism of the the strong and the blade and the 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 sacrifice and all of these things and and that's almost mythical and you can actually take the myths and that's another theme I thought you could do a, a lot of cool things with if if you had you know Dragonfire be a, a, a Chinese mythological figure mm. and had uh, 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 Iden be you know draw on cultures and cultural mythologies and have them woven together here. Yep. I, I think it could really uh, uh, not only create some very cool cultural dynamics going on, but you could also, through Tim, explore what real heroism means, uh, uh, and have him be a hero already by by you know taking care of his parent, doing all of the things that he shouldn't be doing as a kid, but he is, and that's his superpower, and and you know that could be what he brings to the group is is the fact that you know you you. You guys are so wrapped up in yourselves and your power and your story. What about our story? What about what we have to do right now? So that's that's my bit. That's cool. That's cool. What what makes Tim O'Brien awesome? What makes him cool? Oh, um, I mean, I did picture him as, as a phenomenal gamer. I did picture him just a kid that with a really good heart, and I did picture him as someone who um really really wants to get him he is the kind of guy but he's running screaming yes but he, he again the disconnect is making him afraid that he won't be the hero he's always wanted to be that he, until he can connect with that power he's he's still, so I, I think he's the eternal optimist but he needs to find he needs to get get his confidence and at least initially in the beginning but a good i mean a good strong-hearted kid kid that wants to do the right thing yeah, I think I think we need to bring out his awesome more, you know, at least the seeds of it in, in the beginning. You know, we need to see those things foreshadowed that he's going to become great at. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the discovery that he doesn't need that power to be awesome. That, you know, if if you if, if the if the message is in order to be awesome, you have to have a power. I'm I'm going to be very disappointed in the story. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, mean at, I can at, be I can be awesome without power, the, and I think that's just an important message. At the same time, he's got to compete with Dragonfire, Stormclaw, Battlewave, and Shadow Shadowax, and he's got to not be too. He's got to stand next to them and and, and be awesome if he's our, our our lead guy. You know, absolutely, absolutely. No, I'm not I'm not saying deny him his powers, but if if give him his powers and then have him discover that the powers are not the key to heroism. Like um, Captain America in the latest movies. He was a hero before he got the super soldier serum. The yeah, only one exactly. of them that was. Exactly. That quality is what makes him awesome. So I've, 
I have, a, I have another point, I think, a uh, possible big thing here. So we're, we're talking about this sort of portal element of possibly the, 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 the Warriors. Is there a name for them as a group? The Warriors 4, because that's the vibe I got. I got the Warriors 3 all over there. I saw Volstagg and Sif and and Vandal, all of those guys. That's what I was seeing. The Circle of Four was, then it was the current four. name I was using. Circle of Four. That's okay. Cool, so cool name. So the Circle of Four, I mean, uh, if you want this to kind of be a sprawling thing, what, what's cool is you could, you know, they could go to different worlds in every book or they could go to different worlds in every trilogy or something like that. You know, the, we're going to go take care of Terra. And then after all that's all good, oh, by the way, there's this other portal we got to go into and take care of other stuff. So, sure, sure. Balor's evil is, is seeping That was through. on my list, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that, that could be a neat angle. I, I get excited about that, thinking of like, almost thinking of these, uh, I don't know what, what a good analogy would be, but, you know, they could be, in a sense, quote-unquote, guardians of the galaxy. You know, they... <laughs> Let me ask you, too. I, well, I did picture these guys growing up some. I mean, this is before Harry Potter, where, you know, set over the course of seven books, they, they grew older, but I picture them starting out as teenagers and ending up at least in, in mid-20s. Sure, absolutely. There was a great series... Um, God, I forget the the author's name, but it was the Nemesis series. And basically, in the first chapter of the first book, this character uh, uh, unleashes basically Pandora's box on the world. And then the series was about her going and and bringing those evils back under heel. And, you know, something along those lines, as long as we're working mythologies, yeah. uh, uh, you know, maybe Balor at the end of book one opens Pandora's box. Uh, or something like that. I, don't know. I think there are some big, bigger issues that Bradley brought up about, you know, what's the audience and so on. Because if they're teenagers who go from 16 to 20, then we are kind of looking at young adult, right? And and then, you know, then where is the romantic element? And does it work like that? I don't, I don't know. I mean, Brad, yeah. Bradley well, seems and, to have... Well, I, let me ask, let me, let me put that to Brad very specifically. Brad, the two female characters we heard about in this story, one of them is an ancient evil and and one of them is a hero. And those are the only two. What are your thoughts on that, sir? Well, certainly get more. Uh, that, that, that's my first thought, I guess. Um, I mean, it's fine to start, though, you know, with with those as sort of a, a kernel, um, you know, but but get more involved for sure. Um, and I think that will come. You know, I mean, this is, you know, an, a not early uh, take on the on the story, but um, you haven't started writing it and you haven't needed to fill in pieces of the world. Right. And so I think that will come. But but don't just make them window dressing, of course, get get them involved in the in the tale. Um, not just those two, um, but the other characters as well, uh, female characters. Um, you, you could have another of the four be female too. I mean, make yeah, two, yeah. two male and two female. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, so I wanted to mention too, you you, you talked about going into uh, the mid-20s, you said, potentially? Well, I, I pictured them growing up some, and I, I didn't picture it any further than, let's say, you know, post-college. You know what I mean? Right, right. Okay, well, so, I mean, maybe this goes into, I think that takes it right out of, of YA if they right. get you know, past 19, um, even 18, maybe, um, you know, there is the new adult, uh, subgenre that's kind of cropping up and who knows how long it'll last. Um, but this may be an adult novel if you're going into the twenties, uh, which, which is fine. You can have young protagonists, uh, that grow up and it's an adult novel. Um, well, especially but, as if, if they grow up over the series, then you have like a JK Rowling thing where thinking. you start off with, with young, young adult or even middle eight, middle grade, with the first book and then, you know, near adult for the last book. Yeah. So, but be careful. I just want to give you yeah. a word of warning because I, I researched this a fair bit, talked with my agent, uh, who was Russ Galen uh, in his, you know, tapped into his experience and it's, it's not unheard of, you know, Harry Potter's done it. Others have done it, but they're very rare. And you set yourself up, um, 
Any any check marks that you you get in the in the con column as an editor is looking at this thing will increase the chances that they'll just set it down and move along. Um, and I think that's one of them. Uh, again, stepping out of the age range for the readership. I I, I hear that. Uh, that that's definitely a, a concern. But I was thinking, even picking up the, the we're talking about a few minutes ago. If they change worlds and literally almost kind of change characters, if, if at a certain point they leave one theme or one set of themes and one world behind and morph to another one, technically the same characters or that with the, with even the, the same memories, but you can actually launch a different different line of books. Sure, actually, absolutely. Sure. Right? You get good, good, strong secondary characters that capture the reader's attention, and then boom, there's your spinoff. Bradley, if if uh, if he spends like most of this first book with the characters being around sixteen or, or something like that, I mean, but that that needs to be young adult or like upper upper middle grade, like you were saying, right? If it's if that's the ages we're writing and they're they're growing up, um, but it could be it could be adult. It could, it, that really depends absolutely. more on tone, okay. um, than it does the, the the age of the characters, um. You know, there's plenty of, of adult novels that have younger characters in them. Um, so, it, yeah, it depends on, on your goals, John, I think, with the, you know, I, I wasn't the, the market YA you're trying to speak to. You know, that's why I wasn't thinking YA until recently. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like if they, if we're spending um, so much time in the head of, of the this guy who's 16, he's young, he's a geek, and he's kind of like learning... Like to do that for the whole novel, like, I don't know, like it would be, yeah, you can do it as adult, but it, it's not what you would instinctively do with that. Like the, the, the things on a 16 year old's mind. But that's, uh, but that's just the age range. Like if, if we're talking about him, like third person, um, not first person, and, right. and they're going into, you know, all kinds of like um, political drama and visiting different countries and dealing with a lot of adults, even though he's younger, uh, I think that can very easily be a... Um, an adult novel. Think of um, just taking a thread from George Martin, um, Daenerys, right? She's like 13 or 14 when that book opens. Uh, but but that that writing is very adult in her thread, just, just looking at that on its own. And, and, sure. and most of the, you know, yeah, interesting. Well, gentlemen, here's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at the clock and it's it's ticking down. And while there's certainly more hey, that wait, can be more. discussed. Yeah, I, oh, <laughs> I, we all have more, Brad. No, no, I have some really good stuff. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Give us your good stuff then. <laughs> All right. No, just 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 a few ideas quickly. So, um, be be careful. And and this may be turning it into a Brad story, not a John story. So, another disclaimer. Um, I, be very aware of the training thing. Uh, uh, being pre-trained, I would love to see him train on his own. Um, and, and so you might consider just getting rid of that and and having them have a lot of potential that needs to be realized. And he does that when he gets in the world. Um, another thing I thought of was it, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, the Last Airbender. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think that's kind of a, a cool thing. And, and and I love the idea that these folks come from different places. Um, and a, another word of warning, I hope that they're flawed. I hope that they're they each have different strengths and weaknesses such that as a whole, they work together. Uh, but individually, they might fail. Um, so they have quirks and stuff that maybe Tim has to be the leader of at some point. He kind of pulls them together and is the, I don't know, voice of reason or, yeah. uh, or heck, maybe he's the opposite. Maybe he's the one that makes them fall apart and he has to change that by the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. So the group of misfits. And the last thing I'll say is that I, as you were going through this, I, I worried a little bit about black hat, white hat syndrome. Um, uh, yeah, we didn't talk about the antagonist at all, and yeah, we really should have. Aelor and the Huntsman came across a bit. I, we didn't talk a lot about them, so maybe I'm off. 
but as you know, pure evil. Um, and I, and that worries me in, in today's market. Um, so definitely that's it for definitely. me. Those are, those are good points. And actually the last, the last thing that we do, Brad is, is one more trip around the table, uh, uh for, for, <laughs> for last minute just thoughts. You, yeah, you, and, and that's okay. The, those points were good. And see, now you have another opportunity to wax rhapsodic <laughs> on, on thoughts about the antagonist, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, uh, but, but do let's take one last trip around the table and, and fill John's pockets with as much literary gold as we can. Uh, uh, Brad, did, did you spend yourself on that last flurry or or do you have a little bit more you can toss out well, there? Okay, so the last thing I will mention, I uh, held back, um, some re- a reading assignment. Go read uh, the Blue Adept series from Piers Anthony. Uh, Ooh, I think it's actually yeah. the Split Infinity series. With, and the Blue Adept was the first um, book in the series. Um, I read it long ago and I loved it. Uh, I don't know how it holds up anymore because I haven't read it in years and years. But it, it features a protagonist that goes between a world of science to a world of magic. And he goes back and forth constantly. And, he's, and he things are coming up in both worlds that affect the other thread. Um, and it was just really a lot of fun. Um, and you, uh, who knows, may, maybe you'll pull some things. The reason I mention that is because I would like to see um, his strengths and something about his um, abilities on Earth have some direct effect on his success in the other world. Um, that's why I mentioned that. So, so read that and think about that a little bit. Nice. Excellent. Yes. Good reading. Good reading is always a good foundation for, for good storytelling. Awesome. Moses, what about you, sir? Um, I think with the antagonist, I, because you have this kind of superhero vibe going on in here too. And I know that's a lot of your influence of things that you love are like superhero stories, right? So I, I think with, with some of that, I, you know, they can't, you know, you know how to write. I mean, you, you know what an antagonist looks like in a, in a superhero type story. And I think, I think you can bring a lot of that in. Um, and so they, they may or may not be incredibly like, you know, fleshed out in, in all these different ways. But uh, I, I guess it depends on, on your flavor. I, I agree a lot with uh, Dave was talking about bringing in these different cultural elements. I think you've got a perfect, perfect, perfect setup for that. You know, you've got, like he was saying, someone, you know, the, the dragon fire, you know, character, she's, she's, you know, has, comes from some sort of Asian, Asian culture. Right. And you, and you write that. And then, you know, someone else, you know, reminds people of, you know, maybe a Norse culture and someone else is this and this, this and that. And that's something I learned from David Farland is that, you know, you, you have these different, um, you, you touch on different cultures and you see it in Hollywood. You see where they, they'll have, uh, you know, the German character and they'll have, you know, this Asian character and they'll have all these things because ultimately if you want the story to be big, you're going to widen your audience by, by uh, appealing to different cultures in that way and different, different countries and so on. So um, I think you have just a great opportunity to do that with these iconic uh, characters that you have. And I, I see those, I don't know, my, my first vision of those uh, four characters that Tim meets is that they are iconic and they, they have flaws and they have their conflicts. Uh, but, but they're pretty, they're pretty awesome as they are. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the Avengers or something, you know, um, and they've, they've got their issues, but, but you're pretty much like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's Thor. He's cool or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you can have a lot of fun with that and, and just bring in a lot of cool influences, uh, and different types of characters that are going to appeal to different people too. You know, really think of the psychology because they don't have to be, they don't have to have these great growth arcs as characters to have an interesting psychology and people will relate to different types of psychology. You know, a, a young male might relate to a certain kind of character that, you know, an older woman wouldn't relate to or something like that. And so um, depending on your audience, you know, you figure out, you know, how to appeal to different types of readers with those different types of characters. And then then it's fun as, a, as an author when you find out that 
your readers have different favorite characters out of your characters. And, and that's one of the things I really smile about, you know, when people do that with my own work, because you find that people do resonate with different things. So you got a great chance to, to give people a little bit of, a little bit of everything here. And, uh, you know, as long as you make them awesome and, and fleshed out and real, uh, that's a brilliant thing I think you could do with this story. Yeah, right. absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. Um, for myself, first and foremost, John, I, I leapt into my questions uh, uh, and, and completely overshot the thing that I wanted to say at the very top of this thing, which was, holy crap, this world is awesome. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, the, the world building that you put into this, the, the echoes, the very clear but not necessarily derivative echoes to, to a recognizable history. Uh, uh, really, really work for me, and and I would I whatever changes you make, and I, and wherever you go with this, I do hope that sustains, because uh, uh, that really was very charming, and I I really connected with that strongly, and I agree. These characters that you have, the Dragonfire, the Stone Claw, the Shadow Axe, very iconic, very very video gameish, uh, uh, very superheroish. It, it, I love it. Um, so, so I, I did not gush nearly enough as I wanted to, uh, at the top of it, but you've got a foundation here that's gorgeous. Now, one thing I will tell you is this, this smacks of the chosen one trope, uh, uh, and, and I am all about subverting the tropes. So I'm going to toss this out there, uh, uh, that, that, that in the, in the parallel world thing no none of these people know who is going to get pulled over there's an event there's a, a an alignment there's a thing and then there's a contest and and in that contest the 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 victor is is drawn into the world somehow and everybody has been looking at this other guy in tim o'brien's world uh, uh and he's something of a dick uh, uh or at least tim doesn't like him uh and and when the competition comes tim beats him this guy was supposed to be the chosen one. Everybody was ready for him to be the chosen one. And Tim beats him and becomes that. So you've got this, hmm, well, we're kind of hosed now because we've got you. Uh, <laughs> <can> I, <laughs> and, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just want to throw out an offshoot of that. Um, I, I love that idea. And what, when, as you were saying it, I was thinking, oh, they should, like, maybe there's a, they want the circle of four. Um, but they bring 16 so that they can be whittled down to the proper four. So it's not Ooh. its not necessarily a chosen one. He, he doesn't know. They don't know. Um, oh, that's but nice. But he rises yeah. to the occasion and he becomes one of the four through his own wits and strengths and whatever. So you've got the first half of the book being the training. It got it smacks very heavily in a good way of, of Harry Potter, where he's going through schooling and learning and training, evolving, and then you can weave in the the, the darkness to come. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like that. yeah. yeah, that's got right. some that's got that's got some legs. Is that a bit hunger games too? You know, you're sort of seeing who yeah, emerges that's, from little, that's that's iconic in itself. I mean that yeah, it's a it's Hunger Games, it's it's Rick Riordan, uh uh it's all of that. So, so yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I don't think there's any reason to shy away from that. Uh, uh, be, be mindful of the potential for derivatives and, and, and move forward from there. All right. Wow. Okay, John, here's the deal. You know the deal, but I'm going to share it for those that don't know it. You go out and, holy crap, you write this story. Write a short story. Write something set in this world with these characters. Uh, uh, make it happen. 
put it down and put it out. Have it shared in the world, you know, self-pub, EPUB, trad pub, put it up as a PDF on your website. I don't care, but put it out in the world. And when you do, we will have you back. And oh, it's so very appropriate that we will make you, sir, a knight of the round table. <laughs> Huzzah. At that point. Huzzah, Huzzah the knight. <laughs> and well, it'll be a rent fair and there'll be turkey legs yes, and yes. scotch eggs and all of that. <laughs> that's that's the carrot, man. Are you down with that? I am so down with that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Wow. I can't wait to, I can't wait to play this back. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so this this has been ex- exceptional. There's been a lot of gold. I see all the gold strewn about the place. And a lot of that is thanks in large part to our guest host, Brad Bollier. Thank you so much for making the time and engaging so enthusiastically in the froth of the roundtable brainstorm. We appreciate <laughs> it, man. Uh, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do it again in, in some, some distant time, I have no doubt. And Moses, thank you, sir, very much. As always, you 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 bring your A-games to these and, and add so much to the story and to the brainstorming goodness. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And friends, we're doling out the gratitude. It goes out to you as well, because without you, all of us are just kind of talking in the dark, fumbling around, trying to figure out what we're doing. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got as much gold out of this as we did. Uh, uh, now, if you're if you're feeling that love, you're feeling that vibe, there's a couple things you can do. Definitely make your way out to iTunes and, and hit us up with a review. Tell us what you think. We can take it. Uh, bring that goodness on. Uh, definitely helps us get boosted a little bit in the iTunes ranks. Uh, we do have a, a message board now, so if you have ideas uh, for John's story idea and you want to continue on, I know you've been shouting at your speakers, at your car stereo, <laughs> this whole conversation. So so here's your chance to purge yourself of those inspirations and help John in the process. Go out to the, to the message board and throw those up there as well. Oh, man. Once again, exhausted, but 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 cheerful and glowing. And and as I look ahead in my crystal ball, I see holy crap! In just one week's time, we started all over again. Another awesome, fabulous guest host bringing words of wisdom to the to the writerly masses. Another courageous guest writer bringing their story ideas. More frothing. St- storytelling, brainstorming goodness here at the round table. But that is but a week away, and that's a lot of time. So, Moses, what do you think, man? They got a week. What should they do? Uh, this this is inspired by John, you know, who's been working on his story for quite a while. Uh, you notice he's got all these great ideas, and everyone everyone who's listening wants to see him start to write it, right? So if you're one of those listeners who has not started writing yet, you know, uh, I want you to think about what you can do with your story. Pick a day, say this Wednesday, I'm going to do one thing on my story. I'm going to do something, just something, just baby steps, baby steps. Just start. That's the key. To, just take, to, take a can step. Can I give him a, a prompt? Yes. Ooh, a story so, prompt. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's along those lines. Um, pick the, uh, if you haven't started writing it, pick the scene that is brightest to you, that is most clear. It doesn't matter where it is, the end, the middle, the beginning, before the beginning. Um, write that. doesn't matter where it is. Awesome. Outstanding. And and I will I will just also throw in, in the words of Brian Humphrey, go right. So there you go. And I will tell you, friends, that you always find what you're looking for. So look for the good stuff. Look for the bright, radiant, shiny stuff that inspires you. And trust me, dear friends, you will find it. That's it for us, man. We'll be back in one week's time. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.
This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.